We're going to be in the book of 2 Peter today, and we're going to be going on with this theme of a new heavens and a new earth. So here's the word of the Lord out of 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. We'll be dealing with verse 13, but Peter writes, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people... Ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Lord, we pray you'd bless your word in our hearing by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So there were people in the early church called scoffers or skeptics. And these scoffers or skeptics said, said in, in the text that we've been studying, says, well, wh- where is this God you talk about? Life just goes on and on and on. Where is God? They said God cannot be defined if he really is there. Therefore, where is God? And then secondly, they say, you know, where is this judgment that you talk about? Is there really going to be a judgment? We don't think so. It's just life just ends and, and that's it. And Peter says, but do not overlook this one fact. He says, God is above time. A thousand years is as a day to the Lord, and a day is as a thousand years. And God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And, and, and there will be a day of judgment. Don't, don't forget that. And not only that, but we're looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And, and we can hasten the day of the Lord, and we can rejoice in that. The scoffers said, we're on a journey to nowhere. In 210 AD, there's a man named Sextus Empiricus who died. He was a physician, philosopher, and Sextus Empiricus died in Alexandria, Egypt. And, and, and he said this, he said that the, the end of philosophical pursuit is the quietude of the mind or the freedom from disturbance. And he says the way you get away from the freedom of disturbance is to be people who understand that you suspend all judgment about all ideas because there's no truth. So if you want to have quietude of mind, you've got to suspend judgment and say there's no truth, there's nothing to live for, there's nothing to die for. You, you, just, you just exist. Sextus Empiricus. There's a song that many, most of us know, we've heard it on a commercial. It's entitled, The Best Day of My Life by American Authors. It's this catchy little tune. If I sung it, you probably, probably wouldn't recognize it, but it's there. But the group was interviewed, and the lead spokesman of the group was asked about the song. This is what he said. He said, with all the negative stuff going on in the world, sometimes it's good to just escape, to somehow get away and create your own best day, close quote. In other words, singing, this is going to be the best day of my life. This, it, life is not based upon objective reality, like I had a wonderful day on the beach and I had a great supper and I laughed with friends and I went to bed at night thanking the Lord for his good gifts and said, you know, this may be the best day of my life. No, it's based upon not objective reality, but, but a subjective mind control. You have to create an environment where you go and where you live and where you, where maybe giraffes talk or you float on clouds or whatever and said, this is the best day of my life. But Second Peter, he, he says with great resolve, but, but according to the promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. A great day is coming when our joys will be multiplied through infinity. 
And, and, and that which is beautiful will be raised to a level that we can't even begin to understand as beauty. And, and that is the new heavens and the new earth. That's why I gave you the quote last week. It's back in the bulletin today. C.S. Lewis said, the new heavens and the new earth is, is, a, is a heightening of everything we have, but it's like comparing the, the coal to the diamond or the root to a beautiful flower. It's glorious. And the scoffers and, or the skeptics sit in their disturbance looking forward to nothing. We sit at times in our sorrow looking forward to eternal glory. You see, the person whose worldview says everything is a mistake, life has no rhythm, and life is going nowhere, understands you operate on the law of diminishing returns, especially as you get older physically. You operate on the law of diminishing returns. I picked up the paper and then turned on the internet on Friday. ESPN's banner headline said this, the greatest is dead, Muhammad Ali, described by some and by himself as the greatest. And then I thought about this incredibly gifted, handsome man who won Olympic medals and was a world heavyweight champion, who was a paragon of athleticism. But I thought, the headlines are very disarming. The greatest is dead. <laughs> and if the greatest dies, how about me? A man who was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 1984. The greatest is dead. So you, you sit back and you say, we operate on the law of, of diminishing returns. And so the scoffer who says, I'm going nowhere to a land of nothingness, says in 2 Peter, well, where is the promise of his coming? And Peter thunders forth to that question. He says, he says but, but, but they deliberately overlook, verse 5, this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And there was a judgment on the world, and, and there's going to be a judgment that's going to come again. The scoffer says, we're going nowhere. There's no truth. We won't be delivered from the agony of making decisions because there's nothing to really make a decision about. But we say, as people of the living God who hold to the reality of Christ, there is an eternal God who is triune, and he made the heavens and the earth, and he made mankind in his image, and man fell into sin. And even though we're sinners and deeply flawed, we still have elements of beauty in our lives. And this God knew that was going to happen, and so he made a plan before time began that in the fullness of time, he would become a man and live a perfect life and die on the cross for our sins and rise victorious over death and ascend to heaven, and he's going to come and call history to a close. And, and, and so we live with purpose and dignity and joy. And we say that we are looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth, to the restoration of all things, because God is God. I was reading Proverbs 31 recently, thinking about the godly woman. Proverbs 31, it's just a great passage. He says, verse 10, an excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than, than, uh, than jewels. And later says that her, her husband is known in the gates and when he sits among the elders of the land. In other words, the husband can sit in the, in the, in the leadership tribunal council and they can look at him and say, man, he's got a wonderful wife. 
She's known for her excellence. She's known for her integrity. She's known for her industriousness. She does things like, says she does him harm and not good all the days of her life. She works willingly with her hands. She gets up a great while before it's daylight and provides food for her household. And she's an entrepreneur. She considers a field and she buys it and she buys low and she sells high, thus saying that profit is a good thing. The fruit of her hands, and she plants a vineyard, and she dresses herself with strength, and her lamp does not go out at night. She's after it. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She, she cares for those who cannot protect themselves. This is a godly woman. And then, and then it says this, and this is, this is what I thought was very interesting. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. So a godly woman, she's, she's filled with strength and dignity, and she laughs. Now, what does that mean? She laughs. Here's what I think it means. I think it means that, that, that this godly woman, after she's done all that she can do, and she's said all that she can say, and she's lived with, with integrity and fidelity to the Lord, and she does her husband no harm but good all of his days, and her children rise and call her blessed. She laughs the days to come because she realizes there is a God who rules the affairs of man, and he watches over her. And he's Abba Father, and he is good. And a great day is coming when we will have the new heavens and the new earth. Now, I've had all conversations several times every week the last few weeks. This is an election year. And people say, oh, what are we going to do? Some people said, I'm not saying you should say this, but some people said, I'm not thrilled with the options we have before us. What are we going to do? I said, we're going to pray, and we're going to vote intelligently, and we're going to think well. But you know when all is said and done? God is God. And after November, he's still going to be God. I had a friend tell me that this week. He said, you know, I'm concerned, but my ultimate allegiance is not to the United States of America. It's to the kingdom of the living Christ. I said, amen. See, Strength and dignity are our clothing, and we can laugh at the days to come because, you know what? We know something that the seculars has no concept of. God is Abba Father, and he loves us. And new heavens and new earth await us. I think of Psalm 3. Psalm 3, written from the, a bitterness of despair by King David. His son is hunting him down to kill him. And so David writes his psalm on the run, as his son Absalom wants to murder his dad and become king. And David cries out, O oh Lord, Jehovah, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me, and many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. In other words, God's forsaken him. He says, but you, O oh Jehovah, are a shield about me, and you're my glory and the, the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who set themselves against me all around. Because God is God. So, so, so we have hope. Because God is God. We have hope because glory awaits. 
So, so let me just develop this theme a little bit and talk to you. The three things we must remember. Number one, when it comes to the new heavens and the new earth where the living God and his triune glory reigns, we will not be disappointed. I have a wonderful mom and dad. They're still alive. They're 91 and 86 and going strong. I mean, they're just unbelievable. And um, they, they were wonderful in every way. But, but, and this isn't a criticism if they hear this. They learn to operate their computer, which I, I, I don't think they will. But anyway, um, at Christmas, we were utilitarian gift givers. Some of you were raised in utilitarian gift-giving families, which just makes perfect sense. I mean, you, 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 every Christmas, I got some shirts and underwear and socks and a fruit basket and, and a toy. I mean, it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was good, but that's just some of you raised me. Birthday, birthday cake and a gift, no big deal. I married someone who is not that way. Uh, birthdays are bring in the dancing bears day, and and Christmas is just fun. Not not overboard, but the, my wife thinks ahead. She'll see a sale in July or June, buy it, put it in the closet for for, for Christmas. It's, it's it's wonderful. So Christmas is fun for us, and so my kids grew up with that. But 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 one Christmas for our son, we blew it. It's my fault. When my son was six, and he was, we talked to him about this yesterday. He remembers it clearly. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. Sometimes my children remember things clearly that never happened. But, but, that's, but this did happen. And he remembers it clearly. He was six. And so the rage when he was six were these little Jeeps with batteries that you would drive around the, the, the yard or maybe the cul-de-sac. And he wanted one of those. Oh, Dad, I want one of those. And I said from the get-go, I said, Zach, I'm not going to buy you one. I want you to run and develop your muscles. I don't want you to do video games. I want you playing in the yard, throwing balls. You know, do, just develop yourself. I don't, not that. And so he would occasionally drop a hint. Unlike our daughter, who would drop a hint every five minutes, really, until you acquiesced. It was like, okay, do whatever you want to. Just leave me alone with that thing. But Zach would do it occasionally. He kept on dropping the hint, dropping the hint. Christmas came. He was just convinced that he was going to get one of those Jeeps. So Christmas morning, he comes into the room expecting to see a, a, a Jeep with a red bow. And we didn't do well. He had seven books about birds and insects. It was really bad. I mean, it was, it was, it was bad. And, and we had a video of his face. It was just like... Are you kidding me? You know, in fact, yesterday he said, you know, Dad, I'm still scarred from that. <laughs> he said this. He said, in fact, I, I think I'd be a, a greater man of faith in Christ if you'd bought me that. And I said, what do you mean? He said, Dad, I prayed every night for that Jeep. And God didn't come through and you didn't either. And I lost confidence in both of you. He said that. So, you know, just be nice to your parents. Don't, don't expect. Anyway, but, but let me say this. I'll joke aside, there will be no insect books in heaven unless you want them. There will be Jeeps with red bows on them. The glory that awaits is greater than anything we can begin to imagine. You will not be disappointed. One of my favorite top ten movies is The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, it's a story about a man who's wrongfully imprisoned, and he's befriended by a man named Red who's played incredibly well by Morgan Freeman. 
And uh, Andy's the guy that's in wrongfully in prison. He's a banker. He's very bright. He's, he's an accountant type person. He, and so he shows his value to the warden who's a crooked, deceitful man. And Andy is doing the books one day and he gets a package and somebody sends uh, some records to the prison Shawshank. And they are Mozart's opera, The Marriage of Figaro. And so Andy pulls it out and he locks the door so nobody can get in and he puts a duet from the marriage of Figaro on the record player and he puts it on the PA system and it's piped into the laundry room and the gym and the courtyard and the lunchroom and all the offices. And as this beautiful music it goes out, everybody's attention is arrested. And, and, as, and, and as that music is played, you hear a voiceover from Red, Morgan Freeman, who's got a great voice. And he says this, I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. I'd like to think they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words and makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and farther than anybody in a great place dares to dream. This is this. It, it was like some beautiful bird flopped its way into a drab little cage and made those walls dissolve away. For the briefest of moments, every last man in Shawshank felt free. And I, 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 that's what the good gifts of God should do in our lives. That, that's what the foretaste of heaven should do in our lives as we contemplate the, the, the greatness of life. It, it, it should be a foretaste of that which is coming. So we will not be disappointed. There's a passage in Romans, chapter 8. And this is what Paul writes. This is verse 23 to 25. 23 to 24. He says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? What Paul says is, 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 that, is that there is a groaning in our hearts, church, that's reflected in creation. But it starts with us. We, we, we groan inwardly longing for our full, he says earlier, adoption or the redemption of our bodies. And the groaning process is, is something like this. We say, how much longer, O oh Lord, until you come again? Or we groan with anticipation. We groan. There's a wonderful book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Please read it. It's so good. But he talks about a man named H.B. Laird, who's a Bible teacher, who's on his deathbed, and he knows he's dying. And, and, and his son says to him, Dad, what do you feel like? And his dad, I hope I can say this, his dad looks at his son and says, Son, I feel like a six-year-old boy on Christmas Eve. <laughs> because I know that glory awaits. I, I'm groaning. I'm, I'm, I'm groaning. I'm, I'm dying. I'm, I'm, I'm living with anticipation. So that's number one. We will not be disappointed. Number two, we, we diminish our joy by not thinking or meditating more about heaven. I said that last week. We need to meditate on heaven. And I think about the glory that's coming. Now, number three, the understanding of the new heavens and new earth, we're waiting on tiptoe for them, keeps us from demanding 
too much from this life. Wonderful book called Counterfeit Gods by a guy named Tim Keller. This is what he says. He says, the human heart is an idol factory. Quoting John Calvin. That, that takes good things like a successful career or love or material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment if we attain them. So, so we, we take good things and make them ultimate things. Only the living God and his triune glory is to be ultimate. And that is, a, that is an ongoing plea, Holy Spirit, do that in my life. He says later in the book, he, we think that idols are bad things, but that is almost never the case. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the very best things in life. It's not the bad things that we make into idols. It's, 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 it's good things, he says, and I think he's right, that become ultimate. And only God is to be ultimate. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. And so if, if we don't understand that we live in a fallen world that's beautiful and glorious but is still fallen and that the new heavens and the new earth await, then, then we can wait. Look at people around us and systems around us and demand far too much. I went to a wedding recently, went to the reception. People say to me, are you going to the reception? I said, free food? I'm going to be there, you know. So you go to the reception, and you sign a little book, and it's got a portrait of the couple above, and it says above the portrait, and they lived happily ever after. And I thought, give me a break. Really. And I know it's just nice, it's fairy tale, but I mean, if you, if you get married and you look at your spouse and you say, it's happily ever after, you will never be happy. I'm happy 96.6% of the time in my marriage. That's pretty high. But there's that. 3.7% of the time, right? I'm stupid again, and I don't listen again, and don't get it again. And I said, good grief. How much longer? Your children, your friends. I mean, you don't have a perfect friend. You don't have a perfect child. You don't have a perfect church. You don't, nothing's perfect. So, so, if we don't understand the new heavens and the new earth and that we deal with a fallen world that's groaning and we're groaning and our friends are groaning and our spouses are groaning and our kids are groaning and everybody's groaning. And they're believers. They have the Holy Spirit. We demand far too much than we ever should from this system. So how do we wait? How do we stand on tiptoe? Very quickly, number one, be informed. Be biblical. New heavens, new earth. So because... New heavens and new earth are coming. And because our life counts, we live with purpose and dignity and resolve and ambition to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We, we, we go to things like vacation Bible school with expectation. Say, Lord, I'm helping out with the third grade class this week. Third grade is going to rock. But you say, Lord, these third graders are here, and we're going to be teaching them. I'm the only assistant, but I'm there. And the Bible says that we should humbly receive the word in the book of James 
planted in us that can save us. I pray these kids will humbly receive the word of God and that will bear fruit and you'll save them this week or in the future by your grace and for your glory. Or the Bible says, Lord, in Isaiah, that the word of God does not return void. So as we sing it and as we dance it and as we memorize it and as we think it, I rejoice that this word will not return void in the lives of these kids that we pray for and love and touch this week. You, you live with expectation and, 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 and joy. There's a man named Jonathan Edwards who, as a very young man, wrote 70 resolutions. Resolution number 22 was this Resolved to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, vehemence, and Violence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. Edward says, I want to live in such a way that, that I obtain as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. I want to receive a rich welcome in the glorious kingdom of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to live as a steward of the good gifts of God and the way I spend my money and my time and my energy and my relationships. I want to listen to the voice of the Spirit as I read the Word of God and, and do the right things. Therefore, I must be informed. Your life counts. Sextus Empiricus and the scoffers and the skeptics are wrong. Happiness does not come with the suspension of judgment when you realize that nothing is true and nothing is false. Happiness comes when you say, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is risen from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. He has given us the book. I wait with tiptoe when I realize that the best is yet to be. See, going back to, in a way, if you're a believer, you can sing the song, this may be the best day of my life because every day we get closer to heaven. Like I said, we live in a land of joy and sorrows knowing that the best is yet to be a secular person who doesn't know Christ is living in the land of sorrows and mixed blessings, knowing there's nothing awaiting them, they think. Number, number three, I, I stand on tiptoe as, as I realize it is okay to groan with the joy of anticipation or groan in sorrow. It's okay to groan. Longing for the day of the new heavens and the new earth or, or, or just groaning in sorrow because of a fallen world. I believe in biblically saturated grief. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, it says this, a banner verse. Paul says, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. When people die in the Lord, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve because we're going to miss them. We grieve because when a dear friend dies, a dear person, part of us dies with them. But we don't grieve like those who have no hope because a glorious day is coming. C.S. Lewis, one of my heroes, wrote a series of letters to an American woman called Letters to an American Lady. And, and she saved the letters and made them into a book. And it's just somebody he never met. And, and it was, it's a book about 150 pages. It's amazing the letters that people wrote. Anyway, so this is what Lewis says about she's convinced that she's going to die. And he writes this part of this letter I'm going to quote to you. 
And, 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 and he writes this five months before he died in November of 1863. He says to her, can, can you not see death as a friend and a deliverer? What is there to be afraid of? Your sins are confessed and dealt with by Jesus, he says. Has this world been so kind to you that you should leave with regret? There are better things ahead than any we leave behind. Our Lord says to you, peace, child, peace, relax, let go. I will catch you. Do you trust me so little? Close quote. Of course, this may not be the end. Then make it a good rehearsal. Yours and like you, a tired traveler near my journey's end. It's okay to groan. In fact, you should be groaning in anticipation, sometimes in sorrow over your sin, over the brokenness of the culture around you. There should be groaning. Fourthly, as we do this, we, we glory in Jesus. We glory in the goodness of Christ. We rejoice in who the Lord is for us. We rejoice that he is the victor, that he died on the cross and rose victorious, and that he's preparing a place for us. There, there's a man named Leslie Newbigin who was a well-known missionary, Christian philosopher in India primarily. He's from England. He wrote a book entitled Mission in Christ's Way. And, and let me just read this. It says, the missionary Leslie Newbigin recounts a question he was frequently asked concerning his ministry in the non-Western world in India. The question went like this, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future of the gospel in India? And Newbegin developed a standard reply that captured his great hope. Quote, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And therefore the question does not arise. See, the gospel is news of a fact. And regarding a fact, you cannot be pessimistic or optimistic. It's a fact. And instead, you have to ask a different question. Do you believe it or do you not believe it? Although personal experience may give rise to pessimism and leave us cynical about the church or our culture, the greater reality of the resurrection allows us to maintain confidence in all that we endure. The focus, therefore, must not be narrowed to our circumstances and ministry. Instead, we must continually be oriented to the fact of Jesus' death and resurrection as the object of our faith and always maintain as a matter of first importance. I, I read that went, absolutely. You see, in, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says that, that we hold this treasure in jars of clay so that the all-surpassing glory may go to God and not to us. And then he says we're hard-pressed on every side but not knocked down. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We're struck down but not left, left alone. And, 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 and he says this. And it's, it's, it's so... He says, for, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So he says, we, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. He says, because we're always carrying about in our body, verse 10, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. And you beat on that text, what do you mean, Paul? What do you mean? What does this mean? And you, you, you think and you ponder and you think. Here's what I think he's saying. He says, the reason we're struck down but not abandoned and we get up off the mat time after time is because we carry about in our body the glory of the resurrection of Jesus. 
His resurrection power that says, come what may, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and we believe in the resurrection of the dead, and we believe the new heavens and the new earth await. And in and, and, and the, and the final analysis, Jesus wins. And we rejoice and we glory and we're called to be faithful. We're not called to look around and say, are we successful or not? We're called to go forward in faith and energy and action and perseverance. And so, so one way I stand on tiptoe and I, I wait for the, 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 the coming heavens and new earth is I glory in the resurrection power and the victory of Jesus. I glory in that. That's the foundation. And so do not let it get snowed under in your life. Think daily on the power and the glory of the new heavens and the new earth, that the best is yet to be, that we do not operate in the law of diminishing returns, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Think upon that. And then understand that because of that, you have significance. And you're called to an obedience as a child of God. You're called to a, a stewardship that says, everything I do is shot through with glory and wonder and awe because God is God. And live that way. And as you live that way, you'll live with happiness and joy and singing and laughter and, yes, groaning. And you'll represent Jesus to your culture. And you'll preach the gospel to your culture. And you'll love the gospel in the name of Jesus. Love the culture in the name of Jesus. That's what we're called to be. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day and for the mercy of Christ, for the goodness of the gospel. Thank you for the, the fact that we sit in the midst of joy and brokenness, laughter and tears in a, in a world that's beautiful but flawed knowing that a new heavens and new earth is coming. And, and we pray for our contemporaries who are sitting in the midst of the same world with the same circumstances with a firm conviction that nothing awaits. Thank you that every day is a reminder that a new heaven and new earth is coming. Thank you for the joy of laughter and friendship and meals and banqueting and sunrises and oak trees and mountain vistas. Thank you that that's all a foretaste of glory. Don't let that hope, Lord, get snowed under in our hearts, please. Help us to look at each other and say, if this is glorious, and it is, what will heaven be like? And let us think about that. And, and, and let us understand that because of that, we are called to significance. We're called to significance. What we do right now counts for eternity. We don't suspend judgment because there's nothing to live for like Empiricus of old, but we say no, that life has dignity and purpose because there is a God who is triune, who is glorious, and who is good, who died on the cross for my sins, and he's gifted me to live for, my, for his glory in my culture and my surroundings. So, so blessed be your name this day, Lord, in Jesus' name.